I was reading this week and came across something that caught my eye. It said, things moms would probably never say. Here's a list. How on earth can you see the TV sitting so far back? Move up, right close, up in front of it. Yeah, go ahead and skip school. I used to skip school a lot too. Probably never hear mom say that. Leave the lights on. Don't worry about the electric bill. Just makes the house look more cheery. Let me smell that shirt, son. Yeah, it's probably good for another week. Probably never hear mom say that. Go ahead and keep that stray dog. I'll be sure to feed it every day and walk him. Well, if Timmy's mom says it's okay, that's good enough for me. The curfew is just a general time to shoot for, to be home. It's not like I'm running a prison around here. This is one that really got me. I don't have a tissue with me. Just go ahead and use your sleeve. And probably the, the one we would certainly never hear, don't bother wearing a jacket. The wind chill will improve later on today. You know, there's things that we know that moms would never say. As I was reading that, I thought about our sermon series and our message on the Holy Spirit, and I thought about things that the Holy Spirit would probably never tell you to do or say. The Holy Spirit would never say, honk your horn madly and scream at the guy who pulled into the parking spot you were shooting for. The Holy Spirit would never say, push the greeters out of the way when you come into church and reprimand them for wasting paper on bulletins that nobody reads. Smack the welcome center attendant for trying to give you a visitor packet when you've been coming for years. The Holy Spirit would probably never tell you, grab the microphone from the worship leader and do stand-up comedy just before communion. And last but not least, the Holy Spirit would probably never say to you, go tell the preacher, that sermon was awful. It was very poor. Tell him, you read it. You read it poorly. And that sermon wasn't worth reading to start with. Things that the Spirit will probably never tell you to say. We've been thinking about the Holy Spirit. We've been in this series on the Spirit. We've looked at Romans chapter 8 and what Paul had to say about living by the Spirit. In fact, the title of our series is Life in the Spirit. Today, our title for this sermon is Walk by the Spirit. Because that's what the Bible tells us to do. It tells us to walk by the Spirit. So we're going to unpack that today and think about what it means. Why is it important to walk by the Spirit? That's a good question. And we've learned some things about the Holy Spirit over the past few weeks. We've learned that the Spirit is the power and presence of God here on earth. We've learned that God sent the Spirit to dwell in the believer in Jesus Christ and, and to live in their heart and live inside of them. And that, <clears throat> that Spirit will guide and direct. It will lead us. It will convict us where we're wrong. It will confirm for us when we're on the right path. That 
Spirit wants to work in our lives to help us become all that God wants us to be. We've also learned that you can resist the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we don't want to do that. God doesn't want us to resist that leading of the Spirit. And so we, we want to learn how to walk in accordance with the Spirit. You know what the Spirit will do? The Spirit will stoke your conscience. You know, just like stoking a fire and make it burn. The Spirit will work to, to push you in your conscience when you get off track to bring you back. You know, something we have learned, maybe subjectively as we've gone through this, but one thing that we need to know, that information alone will not change behavior. Uh, in his book, The Social Animal, David Brooks summarizes the vast amounts of science research uh, that shows us that information programs alone are not enough to change behavior of people. Uh, both reason and will are obviously important in changing your behavior, but just left to our own reason and our own will, we're probably not going to change our behavior. He uses this example. Suppose we tell people, don't eat french fries. They're bad for yourself. And we put out all kinds of pamphlets on obesity and, and show people how, how French fries are bad for you and how that fried food will, will uh, work against your health. We deliver messages to them telling them to control what they eat. And probably in their non-hungry times, most people would agree, yeah, French fries are probably not the best thing to eat, so I'm not going to eat them. But get hungry and let somebody put a plate of french fries in front of you, and you will eat them. You cannot resist. Your reason and your will will not overcome. That's why we need help. And that's what the Holy Spirit is here for. It is here to help and guide us and strengthen us when we lose our reason and our will, or when it, it, it's not enough to overcome the temptations that are placed in front of us. If we follow the Holy Spirit, what we are going to find is the will and the way of God. And that will help us to overcome the temptations that come into our lives. Let's go today to Galatians chapter 5. This is another, of course, one of the Apostle Paul's letters uh, written to the churches in Galatia. Of course, it is inspired by the, by the Holy Spirit of God uh, to, to what he wrote down. Uh, the churches in Galatia were located in what is modern-day Turkey, is sort of in the center part of that country today. Uh, Paul established churches there on his first missionary journey. He went to Pisidian Antioch, to a town called Iconium, another Lystra, and Derby. He revisited those on his second missionary journey and on his third missionary journey. Paul knew the people in these churches. He also knew uh, what, what they were facing as they went to these churches. And it's apparent if you read the gospel or the, or the epistle of Galatians that one of the things they were facing is the Judaizers. These are folks who came in to the church and they tried to 
forced the church to practice some of the rituals and the laws of the Jewish people and tried to overlay those on top of Christianity. Uh, of course, Paul was speaking against this. He had preached the gospel of grace, that they were no longer under the Jewish law, that people were saved by Jesus Christ and faith in Him. And so they no longer needed to follow the law of Moses. Let's pick up what he writes here in chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So Paul's telling us here that love is the key to freedom in Christ. You know, the freedom that he's speaking of here is a freedom from that law of Moses. That we no longer have to follow the letter of the law. Instead, the person who treats other people around them with this godly kind of love that he's talking about fulfills the righteous requirements of the law. Now, we're not free to live in the flesh, he says, uh, but that is the sin nature. We're not in, uh, free to indulge in ungodly behavior. The love that he's speaking of, though, is godly love. It's the kind of love that God has for us. In the Greek language this was written in, there were four loves. There was uh, uh, storge, which is a kind of family kind of love for a mother has for a baby. There was eros, the kind of love that husbands and wives have for one another. There was phileo, which is a brotherly love, a friendship kind of love, probably the most used word uh, uh, for love in the Greek language. But there was this love, agape. And that is the most used word for love in our New Testament. It's the kind of God love that God has for us. It's the kind of love that has a genuine respect for other people, a care and a concern. It's not based on how we feel. It's based on a decision that we make. That I'm going to love because God loves and because God has called me to love this way. This is the agape love that he's talking about. It's the highest form of love that there is. It's interesting here because Paul sort of has a play on words. He talks about serving one another in love, but it's interesting the word he loses, uses for serve. He's talking about being free in Christ, but he doesn't use the normal uh, diakonos, which can be translated minister when he talks about serving. It can be translated serve. But he uses the word doulos, which is a word for slave or servant. And so it's a sort of a play on words. Yes, we are free, but you have an obligation. If you're a follower of Christ, you have an obligation to be a servant to other people, to love people in such a way that you serve. There is a Hint that there's some internal strife there in verse 15 when he talks about biting and devouring each other. There's constant bickering in the church. 
Probably because of those Judaizers who were teaching doctrine that went against what Paul was trying to teach. Trying to bring back in the, the law of Moses. But Paul insists that in Christ we are free from that. We are to live by the law of love. And that's all about relationships. You know, in fact, Jesus said the greatest command of God is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's all about love. That's what God calls us to, is to have this biblical kind of love. And that sets up our freedom from the law. There was a study done some years ago uh, at Harvard, of all places. Graduates from Harvard, men from 1939 to 1944, were tracked throughout their lives. Most of them were around 20, 21 when they graduated. For the next 70 years, Harvard did a study. What they wanted to find out is what led to their successful lives, what decisions they made contributed to their well-being. The lead scholar in that study was George Valiant, and he summarized the, the results of his study in just a few words. What they looked at is uh, what caused certain people to flourish and others not so well. And what he found was, and this is how he summarized it, happiness is love, full stop. That's all he said. Happiness is love. The current director of the study, a psychiatrist named Robert Willen Waldinger, filled in the details. He said in an interview with the subjects that, that reported having the happiest lives were those with strong family ties, close friendships, and rich romantic lives. The subjects in the study that were most depressed were those and, and most lonely late in life were those who, and, and those who were suffering from dementia, alcoholism, and other health problems were the ones who neglected their close relationships. It goes along with why God tells us to love. Because it's good for our health. And love is the way that sets us free from the law. Now let's move on into verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You see, to love as God calls us, we must walk by the Spirit. Paul says it very plainly here. Walk by the Spirit. That word walk in the Greek language, it has to, be with, has to do with how you move about in life, how you conduct yourself as you go about your life. And so God wants us to walk in the way of the Spirit. You know, we, um, we studied last week that fleshly desires are contrary to the ways of the Spirit, what the Spirit desires. Now, it's not enough just to know that. You actually have to practice it. You have to do it. Knowledge of what's 
what's wrong won't stop us from doing what's wrong. Just as we saw with the, with the French fry illustration. Harper's Magazine uh, in, in the 1990s published a study that was done where kids were trained in Washington State in the schools. They were trained that smoking was bad. And so they went through this program all through eight years uh, when kids were old enough to understand all the way till they got out of school. They went through this program teaching that smoking was bad. But then they had a group of kids that didn't go through the training. And they wanted to see what the difference is in how many uh, became smokers as they left school. What they found was those that went through the training, 25.4% became smokers. Those that didn't go through the training, 25.7%. There's only 0.3% difference in those that became uh, smokers uh, even though they went through the training. It hardly made any difference. You know, our societies often we hear education will change people. But education without the Spirit of God in our lives it won't change us very much. What we need is something to help us overcome what we know to be bad behaviors. Something to guide us and direct us. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Look at verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, fits of... Uh, Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Probably a list of sins that Paul knew were going on in the vicinity of the Galatian churches. You think about this list. Impurity, that is, Thoughts motivated by lust and greed and ungodliness that leads to bad behavior. Debauchery is overindulgence and shamelessly participating in things that just because they feel good at the time, the things that are immoral, uh, overindulgence of alcohol and sex and, and partying. How about idolatry? That's putting material things ahead of God. Witchcraft, in that day it included the use of drugs and sorcery and all kinds of incantations. Hatred, that's being hostile toward your fellow man. Uh, discord, going against others and causing disunity and strife in organizations. Jealousy, feelings of threat against a person who, because of a relationship they have somewhere. Uh, fits of rage, uncontrolled temper, blasting out at others. Selfish ambition, that's wanting your way, despite what others want or what is best for the organization. Dissension, that is disagreement that leads to discord within the community. Factions, small groups trying to take over because they don't like something. Uh, trying, to, trying to cause discord within the organization. Envy, uh, begrudging others for what they have and wishing they didn't have it. 
drunkenness, overindulgence of alcohol and drugs, and orgies or sexual parties with many people. All these things Paul lists. There are other sin lists in the Bible that add to this list. For example, Romans 13, 13 adds carousing. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 uh, talk about wrongdoers or adulterers or slanderers and swindlers. Ephesians chapter 5 adds obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. Colossians 3, 5 adds lust and greed to the list. 1 Timothy 1, 9 and 10 talks about lawbreakers and rebels and ungodly, sinful, unholy, and irreligious people, murderers and slave traders and liars, perjurers. Revelation 21, 8 points out the cowardly and the unbelieving, the vile, and the sexually immoral. Just about every one of these lists in these other places, as does the one here in Galatians, includes sexual immorality, which is rampant in our culture today. Sin is anything that's against the will of God. It's rebellion against God. And no matter how large it is or how small it is, it's sin. You know, God doesn't operate on a balanced scale system where, you know, if you've got a little bit more good than bad, then you're okay. One sin, the Bible says, and you might as well have broken the whole law. God puts you in the category of being a savior, a, a sinner. And that's why we need Jesus. Because we all have sinned, and we all need a Savior. And when we accept that Savior, Jesus Christ, He sends that Spirit to live and guide us and to help us strive to overcome the sin in our lives. In fact, listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. In other words, your, your temptations are not worse than anybody else's temptations. You face the same temptations everybody else does. And God is faithful, he says. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You see, if we seek the Spirit when we're tempted, it's going to lead us to a path where we can overcome the temptation that we face. Of course, we need to do our part. When we do sin, we need to repent. We need to ask God for forgiveness. We need to strive to overcome and, and follow that Spirit. Listen now what Paul says in verse 22 about the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. For those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So walking in the Spirit produces Fruitful traits in us. You see, these fruitful traits go against the sin nature that we're born with. You know, if you, if you get into the Word of God and begin to read and study 
and you listen for the Holy Spirit and let that Spirit work in your soul, you're going to begin to grow in these traits. That's why they call it spiritual growth. It's the fruit that's produced in your life. You know, think about this list for just a minute, what love is. Love is, is sacrificial. It's giving to others. It's, it's doing the best for others and helping them. What about joy? It's this deep sense inside of us that everything's going to be okay. It's a sense of happiness, peace. It's harmony in our relationships. Uh, forbearance, it means simply patience. It's putting up with others, despite the fact that they may not be as spiritually mature as you are. It's, it's, it's tolerating them. It's putting up with them. What about kindness? Doing thoughtful deeds for other people? Or goodness? That is, doing what's right in your own life, even when nobody's looking. You do the right thing. You follow what God has in store for you. Faithfulness, that's trustworthiness and reliability. Gentleness, it's meekness and humility. And it's not weakness, but it's, it's standing up to do the thing that's right and not be overpowering toward others. And then self-control, that's victory over those evil desires that creep into our lives and try to take over our lives. These things we will grow in if we are led by the Spirit. If you go to First Peter, excuse me, Second Peter, chapter one, Peter gives a similar list there. Listen to what Peter says: Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. His divine power—that's talking about the Spirit has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. We've got the Spirit at work. We seek knowledge of God. We seek to know who Jesus is. The Spirit works, and it gives us everything we need to live a godly life. He almost gives the same list here as the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. He says... On down in verse 5, make every effort then to add to your life goodness and to goodness knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and, and mutual affection, that is kindness and, and love. You take these things and they begin to work in your life so that you become the person that God wants you to be. God gives us what we need to live the life He desires for us to live if we seek Him through prayer and the Word and let the Holy Spirit work in our lives. And we will become much more joyful in the long run. Well, Galatians 5.25 simply says this, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And here's our connection. Since the Spirit never stops nudging us toward growth, let us keep in step. That's what Paul says. Let us keep in step. You see, walking by the Spirit includes studying God's Word, 
listening to God's voice, praying to God on a regular basis. And as we do these things, the Spirit works to transform us to become more the person that God desires for us to be. I read this week about a professor uh, at MIT, prestigious university, Dr. Rosalind Picard. She's the founder of that university's effective research group. And she was once convinced that she didn't need God. She was basically an atheist. She didn't need anybody to guide her life or tell her what to do. She knew what was best. She's a very educated woman, but then one day she thought, uh, as an educated person, I ought to at least read the Bible and, and know what it says and understand. It's pretty smart. And she began to read, and she said, when I first opened the Bible, I expected to find phony miracles and assorted gobbledygook. To my surprise, the book of Proverbs was full of wisdom. I had to pause while reading and think. You see, the Bible caused her to think. I read through the Bible twice, she said, and I felt this strange sense of being spoken to. Part of me was increasingly eager to spend time with God as I read the Bible. What happened, this Bible reading changed her life because the Spirit began to work in her life. I was intrigued I was the captain of my ship, but was it possible that God would actually be willing to lead me? After praying, Jesus Christ, I ask you to be the Lord of my life. My world changed dramatically, as if a flat, black-and-white existence suddenly turned to full color and three-dimensional. But I lost nothing of my urge to seek new knowledge. In fact, I was emboldened to ask even tougher questions about how the world works. It all started when she was invited to a church and a preacher asked, who is Lord of your life? Today, she says, I work closely with people whose lives are filled with medical struggles. I do not have adequate answers to explain all their suffering, but I know there is a God of unfathomable greatness and love who freely enters into the relationship with all who confess their sins and call upon His name. I once thought I was too smart to believe in God. Now I know I was an arrogant fool who snubbed the greatest mind in the cosmos. You know, if you begin to seek God, if you seek out His Word, if you pray to Him, if you believe in Him, He will send His Holy Spirit to begin to work and change your life. God spoke to the Israelite community who were held captive in slavery in Babylon. He was punishing them for the sin in their life and their, their lack of faith in Him. He allowed them to be taken off in slavery. But He came to them and He said in Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me 
when you seek me with all your heart. You see, they were held captive, but God says, seek me and I will lead you out of this slavery. Maybe you're being held captive, not able to become all that you can be held by this world and fleshly desires and the sin nature. God longs to set you free. And if you seek him, you'll find him. And he will send his Holy Spirit to help you. And if you will begin to walk by the Spirit, you will find your life dramatically changed. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your Holy Spirit. For that being that enters our very soul and helps to guide us and lead us in your ways. To convict us to convict us of your love for us, to convict us of our lack of love in certain areas, to convict us of our fleshly ways that we have, and to guide us into the freedom that you want to give us to live a life that's full of joy and peace and patience and kindness, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So we pray today, Father, send your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.